Today I'm going to be speaking about the grace of God and what grace is. You know, uh, we've got friends with us in the studio here and uh, Lorraine said jokingly when she walked in here, she said, uh, I, s- I said, I'm going to talk about what grace is. She says, can't you speak on something with a little bit more punch? Now, uh, you know, the grace of God is exactly the punch of God. And we're going to talk about this punch of God that there is, which is the influence that God has upon man. You know, when you think of Adam, Adam had an influence on mankind. And the influence that Adam had on mankind can still be felt today. And it is thousands of years later. But the grace of God is the influence that Jesus Christ has on mankind. And we're going to look at that in depth. Many times grace has been seen as God's ability to overlook sin or God not being angry with us or God just not looking at our sin or something like that. But the grace of God is much more than that. The grace of God is much more than unmerited favor. The grace of God is much more than God not looking at sin. I would actually say grace, the grace of God is actually all about God looking at sin. And if we define sin, we can define sin as man not sharing in that which God has dreamt. And God has come and has looked at what has taken place and what is going on in the earth and what has happened to the dream that he has for man. And the grace of God would then be God's influence and how to correct all of that. So we're going to look at that in depth today. Uh, We want, you know, when, when we think of grace, we are thinking of, Um, the goodness of God that can bring us to enjoy the quality of life that God has intended for us. Uh, You know, in Dynamic Love Web Fellowship, the vision that we have is not to see people continuing in bondage. That is not the vision. The, The vision is not to numb you to your circumstances and uh, the pain that there is in your life because of legalism and law and the flesh. The idea of grace that God has is that you can share in God's quality of life. That you can come to the place where you, your heart can be opened up to what, is really, to what is really done and wherein He, by His doing, can bring forth His dream in your life. And I want to tell you what His dream is. His dream is to have you as His friend wherein he can share his life with you eternally. His dream is not to have you for a short period of time. His dream is to have you eternally with him, eternally in his joy, in his bliss, in the abundance of his life. And he wants you to possess that um, spirit, soul, and body in the fullness of human. They want you to experience that. Glory to God. Now, I want to just start off by looking at the definition of grace. Um, Let us just read the Thayer definition of grace. It says, Thayer says, Grace, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, grace of speech, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Now, I want to just read 1A there. Again, it says, that which affords joy and pleasure. Okay, now, if we just read 1A there, and it says, grace is that which affords joy and pleasure and delight and sweetness and all those kind of things, um, it still doesn't really define what grace is. It just says that grace can bring that forth. 
that is what it basically means. I want to just go to the next slide and uh, let's go two down. Well, Ileana, we're going to go down about three or four. I want to look at the word afford there. I just want to bring that in right now. It's the second, the third last one. And we're going to just look at the meaning of afford. It says that which affords. It says to yield or produce as fruit. So grace is that which yield or produce as fruit to profit, to issue a result. Thus the the earth affords grain, a well affords water, trade affords profit, distilled liquor affords spirits, to yield, to grant, to confer. Um, A good life affords consolation in old age. Okay, so what it says here is it says that grace affords is that which can bring forth uh, like it says, the earth can bring forth seeds or it, it can produce, it, can, it brought it forth. It can say that, um, you know, like uh, uh, if you take fruit uh, or grapes or whatever and it gets fermented, it will bring forth alcohol, spirits. It will bring forth something. It means it brings forth something. So grace is that which brings forth the fruit of the Spirit. That is what it is all about. And you know, when I was thinking of that definition about the spirits, and, and, and let me read that again, it actually is beautiful. Because it says here, it says, um, distilled liquors affords spirit. So now, if, um, if spirit comes forth or spirits come forth from distilled liquor, in the very same way, you know, the fruit of the spirit, comes forth from grace. So grace is something that is so powerful that when, it, when man sees that and beholds that, it can afford or it can bring forth um, happiness. It can bring forth joy. It can bring forth, um, it can bring forth so many beautiful things. Let us just look at uh, what grace is, the first slide there, and... Um, And we're going to look at point two. It's point two A. It says, of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turn them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge and affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. I want to read 2a again. It says, Of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge and affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. Now isn't that powerful? That is absolutely powerful. It says, of the merciful kindness of God, by which God exercises or exerts His holy influence upon people. So, what grace is, is it is God being so good to you that it actually influences you to believe upon Jesus. It is God being so kind that the magnitude of His kindness is actually experienced as a powerful influence that turns you to Christ, that keeps you, 
that strengthens you, that increases you in the Christian faith. In other words, it includes Christian growth, if you want to call it like that, or spiritual growth. Um, it will bring to you more knowledge about who you are and who God is, and it will kindle you to the exercising of Christian virtues. So what that means is, is that somebody is going to be so good, or God is going to be so good to you, that this goodness that you will see in Him will be of such a magnitude that when you can behold it and understand what it is all about, it will actually turn you to Christ. It will be a divine or godly influence upon your heart in such a powerful way that you will never, uh, or, or that it will captivate every fiber of your being. That is what it is. So to say to me that grace is just God not looking at my sin would mean to me that God is as gracious as what most people can be. Because I want to tell you, if you cannot turn a blind eye to your child's fault sometimes, you know, you will kill him. <laughs> you know, you will, I mean, when you look at your children, you see their mistakes, what do we do? We just say, well, I see that, but let us not just think of that. And we forget about that. And we just overlook that. And we just love them in spite of what they do. Um, and if you look at your kids, and if you must be legalistic in your house, and you must punish every little thing they do wrong, you know, it is not going to be a nice place. If I must tell my wife every time when she does something wrong, you've done that wrong, and just because right is right, you know, that needs to be corrected. And if she lives that way towards me, we're not going to have a healthy relationship. That marriage is not going to work. That relationship with children is not going to work. It's just not going to work out. There will be no life in that. Um, so when we look at the grace of God, the grace of God is something that's much more than just the ability to overlook sin. It must be something that is so powerful that it can influence the belief of a person to the point that it will bring him to a place where he will be kept safe, it will strengthen him, it will um, bring affection to his life, it will kindle that person to the exercise of Christian virtues. In other words, it will set him on fire or set him ablaze. It will actually, like what the law would have an influence to set on fire the course of nature, the Bible says, which is basically sin and death manifesting in, in man. In the very same way, what God would do in Christ and what the grace of God would be would be a kindness that is of such a magnitude that when you see it and when you understand that, it will set on fire the very nature of God inside your being. That is what it means. I would like to um, just, just bring point two there. Eliana doesn't have to put it up. I'm just going to quickly read this. It says, it is goodwill or the loving kindness of God. The loving kindness of God. Now, what is kindness? Kindness, and we've got kindness there. You just bring it up for us. Kindness is goodwill, benevolence, the temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, and lifting their distresses. I want to read that again. It's goodwill, 
benevolence, the temper or, or disposition, in other words, the character which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, and this contribution in the happiness of others is exercised cheerfully, not grudgingly, but cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants, and alleviating their distresses. Now, isn't that just something? That is absolutely, absolutely powerful. The Bible says that great grace is the loving kindness with which God comes and exerts His goodness upon us. It's the loving kindness. It is the person of God which when you see who He is and you behold who He really is, you, will, you have to see God in order for you to be in grace, in order for you to be under this power, you have to behold God as a person um, wherein when you look at his character, when you can say he, um, he cheerfully exercises and contributes to my happiness by gratifying my wishes, supplying my wants, and lifting my distresses. Isn't that beautiful? So unless you see a God that happily, with a smile on His face, joyfully come and look at what your true wants are and what, your true, what man's true wish is, and that He can come and He can supply all of that, and you have to see Him as a God that sees your distress and where He would lift or alleviate those distresses with great joy in his heart, if you cannot see a God, God as that person, it would be difficult for you to experience grace and what grace actually is. The grace of God is much more than just, like I've said, God's ability to overlook sin. The grace of God is actually the love that is inside the heart of God or the influence that there is um, upon your heart because of how good God is. In Him accurately identifying what your true need is, what your true want is, what your true distress is, and then lifting that. And we're going to look at how that took place. Now, I want to elaborate on that point a bit more. When we look at God um, and His grace, we have to conclude that God sees, and if we look at what Jesus has done for us, that God has defined the very need of man as eternal life. The very need of man is to have eternal life. Man was in a place where he was drowning in his inability to obey laws and commands unto life. And he saw man, that man had such a need for life, and that in that need for life, he said, let me provide life. He saw man in a need for love, and he provided love. That is what he's come to do. And the love of God is defined herein, that he has come and he's given his son, that we may have eternal life and not perish. That is what it's all about. God has seen that the true need that every person chases after is to have eternal existence in the quality of life God possesses. Every person from a drug dealer, uh, gangs, uh, people that just do business, good Christian people, uh, Muslims, 
whoever, whoever they are, the deepest desire they have is to live long and be healthy, be prosperous, and be happy. That is what they want. Um, that's why many people chase after money, because they think that money can bring them life. Because the thing they're actually seeking is life. That's what they're actually after. That's what most people are after. Most people want to have the bliss and the joy of being good to others. And that's why they would want money, because money would give you the power to be good to many people. Uh, so if you go and look at everything at the end of, at the, end of the day, the, what man chases after, what ma- man wants is, he wants God's life. That's what he wants. And he wants it eternally and not fading. That's what every person has. He wants happiness, peace, joy. He wants to love. He wants to be loved. He wants to be kind. Ma- Listen. You need to understand this. You know, people have said, you know, we've got this inherent evil in us that comes from Adam. And everybody is actually evil in his heart and he needs to be born again so that he can become good in his heart. That is a lie. It is not the truth. Every person that is born is good. Man is good. The problem is that man, and this is what I thank God for in Jesus, and that he, and I thank God for what he has done, is accurately... Um, pin down the problem that there is in man. And the problem was written down in Romans 7. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. For whenever I want to do good by the law, the good that is inside me cannot come forth. And since this good cannot come forth and cannot come into manifestation, I am dying here. And God saw the good that is in every man, and He knows how to bring that good forth. And the first thing that He had to do is, He had to to end our union with what destroys us, which was the law and works righteousness. He had to end that. So God looked at man, and he, He, as He looked at man, He saw man is dying, and he is under something that is destroying him. And that is a belief system that he has to have eternal life or a desire for eternal life and that he's got that good in him, that that natural thing, that natural good that's inside him. I want that good. I want that life. But he was using a system which cannot produce that. And man was married to that system in the blindness of his mind, in his unrenewed mind, in the wrong belief about who God is and who man is. And what God knew he had to do is he had to end that. And he had to do it in such a powerful way that this love will influence man to the point that the very life of God can effortlessly manifest in man. So I want to say this to you. Every person on this planet, and maybe this is a shock to you. you know, we thought that you know, in, in Adam we were all made sinners and we inherited evil and we are just born evil and all of those. No. Man and every man and even Adam was born with an inability to have eternal life by his works. When God made man from the dust of the earth, man was good, but he was naked. That naked means he doesn't have the ability to possess eternal life by his own works. He doesn't have that. So if he doesn't have that, 
what needs to take place is God needs to come and He needs to take that, uh, uh, give man that eternal life as a free gift. And He needs to sustain man. He needs to have the upkeep that is necessary for man and bring that forth. Let me say that again. Man doesn't have, and this is the problem with man, man doesn't have the ability to have eternal life by himself, by his own works. He doesn't have that. And what happened with Adam and Eve is, Adam and Eve didn't believe that, and they tried to use their inability and bring forth eternal life by their own works. That's what they've tried to do. They've tried to do that. They tried to bring that forth, but they couldn't. And as they entered into that, they were dying because they were tapping from a source, which is dust or human ability, and they couldn't have that life. And God came to end all of that. God came to bring His eternal life to man. That is what this is, this is all about. He came to end that. So God saw His good people that He made without the, without the ability to have eternal life by their own works, since He's the only one with eternal life. He made a vessel that can harness eternal life if they allow God to come and live in them. That is, that is how He made man. When God, when man wanted to stand away from that, had a wrong belief about who they are and who God is and entered into a place that destroys their life, he said, let me come and fix this. This is what it's all about. I want to fix this. I want to end this. And I want to bring them to a place where I influence their belief in such a powerful way that my eternal life can actually indwell them. Glory to God. Now, I want us to go to Strong's definition on grace. Strong's definition on grace. It says this, Graciousness as gratifying or a manner of act, um, abstract or concrete, literal, figurative or spiritual, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Okay, let's read that last part again there. It says, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So he says that grace is the divine influence upon the belief of man and its reflection in the life. So when we look at the grace of God, we have to look at the grace of God in such a way that it would be an influence upon your heart. Now how could God ever influence man in such a powerful way that the beautiful person that you are can actually manifest and that the lid of or the veil would be lifted from you. He had to do it in a way that includes us, which we can behold as a truth about us. And as we behold that truth about us, and we see that truth, that it will be so vivid and so clear and so explicit that we cannot but come to the conclusion that we have a brand new life. And we come to a completely new truth about ourselves. Now, before I explain what is done there, which is just a simple gospel about the, of the cross and the incarnation, I want to talk a little bit about the veil. Um, I think two or three Sundays ago, I spoke about the veil that's over a man, um, over a man's heart by the reading of the law. You know, the thing about a veil is this: a veil. When a veil is put over your face, we always think of, you know. A veil is put over us so we cannot see properly. Now, if I put a veil over my face, yes, it's true. 
I will not be able to see properly. But um, I will still be able to see, especially if it's some of these thick veils, you know, you can, you, where you cannot see the person's face. I can still, out of those small holes, still kind of make out what's going on around me. But the biggest hindrance is in the, in the eyes of those that are on the outside. They cannot see my face. They don't know who I am. I'm veiled. You know, if you look at, um, and this is not hate speech or anything, but if you look at the Muslims and some of the veils they wear, I don't know what the, the, the uh, Arabic name for that is, but some of those veils, you can only see the eyes of people. And some of them are so thick and, uh, uh, um, you know, it covers up so much that you can't even see the eyes. You cannot see the person. There can be a person inside there that is the most beautiful, most attractive woman that's in there, and you will not be able to see her. And that is actually what the law does. The law, yes, I do believe that the law, and by the reading of the law, you cannot see clearly on who God really is. But one of the main things the law does is it veils the glory that God has placed in a man. Uh, God has made man for his pleasure. He has made man to have a friend. And when man came and believed a lie, who he really is cannot shine forth. And that is what happened in the old, in the type and the shadow in 2 Corinthians 3, when Paul used, uh, you know, was looking at the law. What Paul was doing is, he was taking that law system, and when he looked at that law system, he said, this blocks what God has planned for man. It blocks the glory that God has put inside a man. It blocks the life that God has designed for man and brings forth death. He said it was Moses had a, had a veil over his face. Why was the veil over his face? So that the other people couldn't see the glory. That is what it's all about. So when we come and we look at the law and we want to define our lives by works and we want to have life shine forth by works, you know what's going to happen? It's going to veil your life. That is what the law does. If I've got love for my wife, and I've used this example so many times, and she goes and she puts a list of rules, uh, um, you know, on my bedside table with what I must do to win her favor. doesn't matter how much I love her. When I try to do those things, it's going to veil my love for her. Who I truly am will not be able to be expressed. That is what it will do. So God came, and according to the definition of grace, which is inside His loving kindness, He had to come in such a powerful way, and in that kindness, that word kindness there, meaning the character which delights in contributing uh, to the happiness of others, which is exercised uh, cheerfully in gratifying their wishes. He had to come and look at what is the true wish, the true desire of man. And if I look at my son, I can look at my son and I can say, what is his true desire? And he might think his desire is this thing or that thing, you know, but his true desire, the true desire of my children is the true desire that is inside every child is to know God. That is his true desire. His true desire is to know God and have the very life of God. That is his true desire. And as a parent that knows the love of God, knows the grace of God, I can identify that in him. And in seeing 
looking at where he is, at what age he is, I can come and I can know what to give by the wisdom of God to him at that time in lifting his distress because I can look at his distress and, and he can think his distress is not having an Xbox. He can think that is his distress, you know. But his distress might be something completely different. His distress might, fi might be finding his identity in what uh, uh, toys he has, you know. So I can help him in lifting his true distress. And I can do that with love in my heart and kindness in my heart. And when he sees what his true need is, and he can see how I've come to help him in that, you know what it will do in his life? It will influence his heart to a point where he will experience true life and true freedom. Glory to God. So grace is the divine influence upon the heart and the acting out in the life, including gratitude. Now, um, if, we look at, um, if we look at grace, what is grace? This is the only way wherein we could have grace. The only way wherein we could have grace was by the very influence, uh, by God influencing our heart in becoming a man. The greatest thing that would ever influence you is a mirror. The greatest thing that will ever have an influence upon your life is what you see in a mirror. And we see that today. We find people, you know, they, they, the way they dress themselves. You know, a while back on a Sunday, I said things about uh, a preachers on television. And afterwards, I actually felt a bit bad um, in you know felt a bit judgmental in what I said but at the end of the day I just tried to communicate uh, you know what law does when we find our identity in in how we look in this life we will start to dress funny you know and I'm using this example not in judgment but you know you can find a preacher put so many rings on his finger that he l struggles to lift his hands you know because and you would just look at that and you would say, there's something weird there. Something's not right. And you can immediately see when, when people's worth is in how they dress and all those kind of things. Why? Because your identity is found in what you see in that mirror. We are beings that want to see ourselves. And when we see ourselves and what we behold there affects us. We are born by what we see in a mirror. And when, what God had to come and do is he had to come and bring forth a truth about us that is, that is when we look into that, that we can see a mirror. And that what, when we see something in that mirror, it had to be something that reflects everything we've ever desired. And the moment we can see everything we ever desired in a mirror, we will stop from our works, which is the law or the veil. It will be lifted from us, and the glory and the truth about who we are will shine forth. That is it. That is grace. Grace is God bringing forth a mirror or a truth, wherein when you look into that mirror, you can see everything you've ever desired fulfilled there. <laughs> glory to God. So when we look at what Jesus Christ has done and what he has accomplished, we see that he became a man, and this is the mirror. The mirror is not just a glimpse into Jesus at where he is today, but it's a whole story. He became a man. He took all of our life upon him, 
as he took all of our life upon him and it and he became our sin and and what we saw ourselves as to be we saw ourselves we saw our inability we saw how we couldn't have eternal life by our own works we saw all of that and when he saw all of that and he saw the death that came in in um to man and we and, and he could become all of that and you know, we, he became all of that. We could see that. We could see him being baptized with the baptism of John, taking all the sin of the world upon him. And then we saw how he walked to the cross and how he became cursed um, and, and how he carried, or not became cursed, how he carried the curse of sin and he became sin and everything. We saw the full manifestation of death upon the cross. When we see all of that and where we see he actually came to a place where we were, where we would look at God and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where he even took that upon him and became so fully us that we could see ourselves in Jesus right there, a life that's dying, the curse, cursed upon a cross. Cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree, where he was hanging upon that tree, where he was having all that curse, where we see us, we, we see that reflection of our lives because so many times we feel we've got a cursed life our life is cursed i'm thinking of people that that might be having cancer at the moment people that might might have hiv aids watching me uh people that might have sugar diabetes and is dying people that are losing their eyesight people that are that, that have a, a children that has been born completely disabled and, and you're going through very difficult times people that cannot have children um people that live in pain day and night and there's not medication that can take it away. You can look at yourself and you can say, cursed, you know, this is not life. He became all of that and he took it upon him because that is what we can reflect with. That is what we can identify with. And he became that life and he showed that life and he died. He died, he died in that state. He became the fullness of all curses, which is death became that and then we continue to see this mirror story where our life is mirrored and he was raised without sin above death he was seated at the right hand of the father and as he was seated in immortal human flesh where in his physical body i just feel so touched when i say this man when his physical body was taken from the grave and didn't see corruption, didn't turn to dust, and his life was preserved, we see the story of man. And we see what God has come to do with us, and, and, and what he's come to do on behalf of us, and what he's come to do with our lives. And he repainted the picture of man. And he's put man at the right hand of God, where God, where man, where we can look at Jesus, and we can see the glory of God in the face of a man. And as we see this truth, it influences our hearts. And that, and all this goodness that can influence you is called grace. That is the grace of God. That is why we need to preach grace radically. We need to preach how God has never confused man with what man did. We need to preach how God has never, ever confused man with works. We, we need to preach and we need to say how God has always, 
always seen the value, the, 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 the treasure of man that was inside man, but that that treasure could not come forth, that that life couldn't blossom, that that seed of life couldn't come forth and manifest fully. We need to see that God always saw that value and that God saw that man, that his valuable man, his valuable people was under a wrong belief that was destroying them and that he had to come and change that belief. You know, when we look at Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father and we look at the doing of the Father and we see how God raised Jesus from the dead, we can only come to this conclusion. We cannot save ourselves, but God came and saved us from our death. And as we believe this, our lives change. And that's why I want to I end off with Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. Um, it will be the last slide. Man, I've got my thing so mixed up here. Is it not there? Sorry, Romans 5. Romans 5, Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Let's just read Romans 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore being justified by faith, in other words, having life by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace doesn't mean God's not angry. It means harmony. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and not only so but we glory in tribulation also knowing that the tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us read verse 1 and 2 again it says therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 2 again, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Isn't that powerful? He says that we are in the grace of God. The, the influential power of God upon a human being has been, been made available to all people. For when Jesus became sin, He included all people. Do you know what you needed to be in Christ? If God became, if Jesus became sin, you know what you needed and what actually included you into the finished work of Jesus Christ? Not your faith. Sin. <laughs> what caused you to be in Christ was sin. Because he became sin and you lived, you, you, you had, your whole life was flooded with sin. So when he became sin, it included Jew and Gentile and everybody was put in Christ. So if you say, if you can say, I've got any sin, you have to conclude that you were in Christ upon the cross. If you say that there are sinners out there, you are saying they are in Christ. That's what you're saying. Because God, Jesus Christ, became sin. And that is the picture. So now, when we see that mirror, when we see this grace, we can say the whole world stands in this grace. And by faith, we have access 
into this truth. In other words, it is true. But as our hearts are persuaded of this truth, as we behold our perfection in the resurrection, and we start to see how he has, how God has influenced mankind, and how he's influenced your life unto immortality in the resurrection, you know what takes place in your heart? You find that you are now rejoicing in the hope of the resurrection wherein you are saying, I see a man at the right hand of the Father above sin, above death, above everything that's bad. I see he's good. I see he's full of life. I see he's full of kindness. I see all these things and I see his life as the truth about me. And what, it ha- what happens when I see that is it kindles me unto true Christian virtues to the point that Paul writes, if you read on Galatians there, which I've just read there, he says that it actually kindles me to and empowers me to have patience in tribulation. Isn't that powerful? Glory to God. The grace of God is such a powerful influence that it supersedes what this life can actually bring towards us. I want to end off by just telling you that you are deeply loved by God. His grace is your inclusion in the man, Jesus, seated at the right hand of God. And the man, Jesus, will return. His life is your life. The grace of God is the merciful kindness of God. It is the character trait that joyfully, that joyfully comes and lifts our distresses. We've got, we, we were under the distress of works righteousness. We were under the distress of a wrong belief about ourselves. We were under the distress of thinking God is a slave master. We were under the, the distress that thinks there's nothing good, that I am not good. You know, when Paul said there's nothing good in my flesh, he was not saying that he's not good. What he was saying is there's nothing good in trying to have eternal life by my works for inside human ability is no eternal life. That is what he was saying. He wasn't saying man is bad. Just look at yourself. Even people, the people that are not Christians, when they look at at, at folk that are going through hard times, you would find most people will feel compassion. They might turn a blind eye and just walk away because they will not have the ability to bring forth the life that's inside them, you know, and they, that life would in the life be fading away and it will end in destruction and death. Yes, but you can find, you know, people out there, they want to save the whale. They want to save dolphins. They want to they, they want to protect nature. Why? Because they even see value in nature. They see value in humans. They want to save lives. Most people want to save lives. Why? Because man is inherently good. He's not bad. The only thing is that this good person doesn't have the ability to have that good life preserved eternally by his own works. It can only be preserved in the atmosphere of a loving God. It's the only way and can only be preserved by seeing the life of that God as your own life. That is the only way. There is no other way. You know, I said to Helena, and I'm ending off like a good preacher for the second time. I said to Helena, you know, when I look at the salvation plan, sometimes 
you know, you want to have an accusation in your mind and saying, why is it so complicated? You know, why is it that a man had to come and die and, and, and you know, that it, it's all about a God that would love you and then by seeing that love, your life would be preserved and that man naturally without the love of God would die. And wh- why is it like that? You know, why, why did God make things that way? You know, I, I want to put it this way. It's not that God make things that way. It is the only way things can be. It would almost be like, um, asking that question would almost be like my son saying to me, why, when I was born into my father's house, why is life found in communicating with one another and sharing our hearts? Why is it like that? It's because the Father is like that. I cannot help. That is who I am. In the very same way, that is who God is. There is no other way. And being upset about it is not going to help at all. When we look at the whole thing, we look at a God that has got eternal life and He is the only being that possesses that. You must remember God is the only immortal. He, is, he possesses immortality above angels and demons or anything. He's the only immortal, the only one that's got a perpetual life, an ending life, the only one. And then this being came and he said, let me, I, 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 want so, I want to share this with something and anything outside of me doesn't have that. So I'm going to bring forth, I'm going to create an earth, I'm going to create a heaven, I'm going to create a place where whatever I have in heaven can be duplicated in and then I'm, from that dust I'm going to create the being, I'm going to give him life. That being will have life and that life I will preserve their life. But the only way their life can be preserved is inside the parameters of my reality, which is relationship. And He grants that life to those people. He grants that life. I'm going to say something might be very shocking, but if you're shocked by this, let it be. This is what I believe in my heart. If man, if man was taken from the dust of the earth, and many people say, I didn't want to be here. I didn't ask to be here. Now, look at this perfect plan that God has. He takes dust, which is not eternal, and He makes it alive and gives it life, and grants that life while it's alive to be presented with the voice of God in the very inner being of that person, and then present that person with life. That's why I'm so glad God didn't make us eternal from the beginning, but made us from dust, so that those that don't want that life, that they can go back the dust (laughs) and die as God said to Adam and Eve he said to Adam and Eve he said from dust you were taken and if you are not in the place where you find me preserving your life the life that I've granted to you you will lose it isn't what Jesus said Jesus said clearly he said if you find your own life in other words if you look at your own life and you find your life as the source of your life you're going to lose your life you're going to die The whole thing about Christianity, and I've said it many times, is not about heaven and hell. It's about life or death. And He's come to grant us life. He's not a God that that wants to torture any man. That's why when He made man, this is what I believe, He made man from what is temporal. So that if man wouldn't love Him and didn't want life from Him, that man 
can go back. And He presents man with that life. He presents man with that goodness. He is not a God that would love to torture people that don't obey Him. He is not a God that wants to bring harm to anybody's life. It would be like, uh, uh, um, you know, if my son is my son is in university and I pop in there for a coffee and and I and he's busy doing something, I would come to him and say to him, "Hey, son, do you want to go out for lunch with me?" And he says, "Dad, I'm busy here." At least I've given him the opportunity. But if he doesn't want that, let him continue with what he's been busy with. Isn't it? But I'm a, I, at least I gave him the opportunity to share in my life, to have coffee, to crack some jokes together, and, and be kind and friendly. Glory to God. So I want to say to you that the grace of God is God's influence to take man and bring forth a mirror of truth wherein you can behold yourself inside what you have always chased after. And when you can behold yourself, and when that truth is, when you, are, when you see the truth about yourself, it, and you can realize that that resurrected Christ is your life, the influence that has, the influence God had on taking man and putting man there, plus the influence it will have on your heart, and, and the effect it will have in you, is called the grace of God. Oh, hallelujah. That is why you can go to the book of Acts and you can say, where they could say, and they would preach and they would see people getting saved and people getting healed and those kind of things, and they would say, and they saw the grace of God. Why? They saw the influence God had upon people in bringing life and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit to them, and even bringing, testifying to this immortality that was preached, and the preservation, the eternal preservation of life that was borrowed to you. When that was preached, and that life was preached inside a human body, you know what happened? The Spirit of this life came and testified of this immortality by conquering certain shortcomings in people's fleshly bodies since this life includes the human body and healed the, the sick and conquered sickness and conquered disease and blind eyes were opened, deaf ears heard and all those kind of things. And that is what is available for us inside this message of grace. Glory to God. While we will see signs and wonders yet awaiting the hope of, our, of this glorious gospel, which is the resurrection from the dead, or in the twinkling of an eye, the change unto an immortal body. Glory to God. I know that many of you are, are, are touched by this message, but I will tell you, as you hear this, you will feel inside you the life of God. It's also wonderful when I sit with the web pastors and, and, and I teach them what I believe about this. What comes from their mouth is, Bertie, as you say these things, I know it's not of a man. I know, I, I can feel how life comes in me. I can feel how the life in me wells up or swells, almost how I become bigger. <laughs> it's, it's, it's life. Glory to God. Why? Because it is the message of life. Glory to God. I would like to pray for everybody that's watching. And I would, especially today, also want to pray for sick people. You've got sickness in your body. I would like to pray for you.
And I thank God for healing that is yours. I thank God for signs and wonders that testifies to this message of grace, this message of the goodness of God, of how God has come to influence man. I want to say to you, I want to say this before I pray. I'm not here to try and get followers for Dynamic Love Ministries or try and please man. I've never been like that and I'm never going to be like that by the grace of God. When I say I've never been like that, I'm talking about when I'm under the grace of God. I'm not going to preach something that wants to tickle the ear. And the old traditional way of looking at things tickles our ears and that's what people want to hear. I'm not going to stick with that. I'm going to be true to what I believe in my heart and I'm going to preach that. That's it. Those of you that want it, glory to God. Those of you that don't want that, I want to say as Paul says, God will convince you of this truth. That is it. Glory to God. It will bring life to you. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to pray for every person that is watching right now. And I just stretch forth my hands to this camera. And as I stretch forth my hands to this camera, I know In the spirit, I'm right there with people in their houses, in their living rooms, uh, where they're watching this, because your spirit is omnipresent, and that spirit is inside me, it is inside them, and we speak by that spirit. And, and that, and I can speak your word of healing right now to people that are sick. And I say a confirmation, signs, wonders, and miracles take place. And I thank you, Father, you stretch forth your hand right now to stri- signs, wonders, and miracles, that I can preach this word with boldness, my Lord. Thank you that cancer gets healed right now. I thank you, Father, that different miracles take place. Back problems are healed. People with fused backs Um, that cannot move, are being healed. Thank you for that, Lord. Uh, uh, Knee problems, back problems, sugar diabetes, whatever. I just come and we we just, I just see in my my spirit spirit eye, I see like an explosion taking place in people right now. And as it touches their bodies and heals them as signs of this truth. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And I also want to pray for people that are watching now that has never received Jesus as the Savior that saves you from death. And if you want to receive Jesus and you want to acknowledge, you want to receive this in the meaning, meaning that you see this truth and you acknowledge this as the only truth, I want to pray for you right now. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. If you want to receive the Lord, say, Lord Jesus, I see a man immortal, above sin and death, at the right hand of God. And I see that life is my life. I receive it, and I believe it. And I receive your spirit that has raised that Jesus from the dead. And it raises me up now. And it sets me free from alcohol abuse. It sets me free from drug abuse. It sets me free from marital problems and sets me free from pain. I am saved. Amen and amen. I want to thank you so much for watching and uh, thank you for allowing me to serve you with the gospel of peace. I will see you in this week in our short broadcasts that we have um, from Tuesday until Friday. Every day we will have a short uh, webcast live on Facebook and we also upload it to YouTube. 
you can go to YouTube and you can look at our different, um, you know, what do you call it? We've just got uh, playlists, is what it's called. And we've got all our short playlists or, sh- or sh- uh, short messages in one place. I think we've got about 80 messages that's under 10 minutes. If you want to go and watch that, it will really enrich your life. So see you later this week and know that God loves you and he always smiles over your life. Amen.